Well, let's turn our attention now to God's Word, Revelation 3, 14 through 22. This is God's Word to the church in Laodicea, the last of the seven churches mentioned here in chapter 2 and 3 of Revelation. And God's holy, inspired, and inerrant and infallible Word says this, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant to him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Well, one of the most famous movie lines of the 90s was in the movie A Few Good Men. You have a uh, Uh, Lieutenant Caffey, played by Tom Cruise, who is a prosecuting attorney uh, in the Navy. And you have Jack Nicholson's character, Colonel Jessup, uh, who is uh, on the stand. And Tom Cruise's character, uh, Lieutenant Caffey, is cross-examining him. And he uh, yells at, uh, at Colonel Jessup and says, I want the truth. And Colonel Jessup sneers at him and says, You can't handle the truth. And of course that line gets quoted here and there. Well, the church in Laodicea in this passage is hit with the truth, full in the face. And it was not what they expected to hear. One wonders how they handled the truth of Christ. Well, Jesus is knocking on our door today. He's This word is coming to us today here at First Presbyterian Church. Will you open your heart to hear his voice today? Will you listen to what he says to you today? Like the Laodiceans experienced, what he says about you might not agree with what you think about yourself. And can you handle that truth? What will you do with the truth? There's lots in here about hearing and and listening to God, listening to Christ. And there are three things here I want to point out to you in, this, in these few minutes that we're going to reflect upon this passage. First, we, we see Christ's assessment, Christ's assessment of the Laodiceans, Christ's assessment of their, their situation. And then we see Christ's counsel to them, his, his advice. And then finally, we see an invitation from Christ, Christ's invitation to these lukewarm Laodiceans. Well, 
Christ gives his assessment. That's the first thing we see here in verses 14 through 17. Christ gives an assessment of the Laodiceans, and it is, it is probably the harshest word of all these seven words that are given to these seven different churches. This is the one that I would want to receive the least if I were one of these churches. Jesus says, I know your works, you're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now in Laodicea, the water supply was, was drawn from hot springs that were some distance away. And by the time the water reached Laodicea, it was tepid. So this is a, a picture that they would get. It's a word from Christ that is spoken in their language. They're used to lukewarm water, uh, and, and it was a, a part of their daily experience. So, so Jesus is using this familiar imagery. Now what this means is that the Laodiceans were not wholehearted in their Christianity. Now they were people who showed up at church usually. They were good, moral people. But their devotion to Christ was lukewarm, tepid, half-hearted. They were flabby, listless, languid, indifferent Christians. Fence straddlers, you might call them. John Stott says that they had skin-deep religiosity. It was just a, a show. And it's a startling statement that Jesus makes here. He says, I would rather you be icy cold or, or boiling hot. He wants them to be boiling hot, fervent for him, but not lukewarm. And Jesus says it would be better to be completely indifferent to Christ than to be what they are. To be openly against Christianity, they would be better off than to be lukewarm professors of Christianity. That's a shocking statement, isn't it? And it gets more shocking. He says because they're lukewarm, he's going to spit them out of their mouth. And the word there in Greek is emeo, and we get a word from that, emetic. You know what an emetic is? It's a, a medicine that they give you to induce vomiting. So Jesus literally says, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Uh, remember when uh, we had... Uh, uh, a missionary from Chile here who's blind, and, and uh, the dog was over at David Allen's and, and got into some coffee, and he ate a whole bag of coffee. Well, that could kill the poor dog, and he's a seeing-eye dog. And so they rushed him to the, to the vet, and the, the vet gave the dog an, an emetic so that he would vomit up the coffee. And, of course, the dog was preserved, and everybody was happy except for the dog, of course. But it's a graphic picture that we're getting here uh, from Jesus. He's grieved with these Laodiceans. It's disgust. He's disgusted with their lukewarm uh, situation. Now Jesus, of course, doesn't want us to be icy cold either. He wants us to have a, a fervent devotion to him. He, he won't settle for less. He wants them to be red hot, fervent for him. And they didn't see this coming at all. Look what it says there in verse 17. You say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. You know, they, they were self-satisfied. 
Laodicea was a wealthy town. Uh, it was known for banking. Uh, it had some other trades I'll mention in a moment. But uh, it, it actually had a, an earthquake in 60 A.D. And, and they did not get any assistance from the Roman government because they had so much wealth that they were able to rebuild the city themselves. Other cities like Philadelphia had to get assistance from the Romans in order to rebuild. But Laodicea was so well off that they didn't have to. And so they were able uh, to, to, to prosper there in Laodicea and they became self-satisfied, comfortable. They, they had all their creature comforts and that pulled them away from their devotion to the Lord. And Jesus does not like this lukewarmness. And we should listen to Jesus. What does he say about us? It's best to listen to his assessment over our own because our hearts will deceive us. See, these Laodiceans thought, hey, we've got it all together. There's nothing that we need to worry about. You know, there, we don't need anything. But Jesus says, no, the truth of the matter is that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Their understanding of themselves was over here. I'm rich. I've prospered. I don't need anything. But Jesus' assessment is over here. You are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I mean, that's about as far apart as you can get in your understanding of yourself. And I wonder if we don't do the same thing ourselves. You know, we, we say to our hearts certain things and we believe certain things about ourselves when what we really need is to have truth. And Jesus brings us the truth. Look how he's introduced in verse 14. The words of the Amen. Amen uh, is uh, a, a word, of course, we use at the end of prayer. It, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a word that, that brings validity I believe it. I, I, am, I am affirming this as something that, that is true and valid. So to say that he is the Amen means that he is sure and valid. What he says is sure and valid. He is the faithful and true witness. What he says, what he speaks is faithful and true. In fact, he's the beginning of all creation. That doesn't mean he was created. That means... He was the agent through which everything was created. He knows it all exactly as it is because it's only there because of him. He's the one who created us. He knows us best and he's faithful, true, and everything that he says is valid. So we must listen to what he says to us, not what we think about ourselves. The Laodiceans fell into this trap. They thought they had it all together, that they didn't need anything. And Jesus says, no, quite the opposite. How is our devotion to the Lord? We, we come to church, you know, we, we are moral people, but do we truly, fully, and completely love the Lord? Uh, do, we, do we seek after Him with all of our hearts? If not, we're lukewarm at best. And Jesus doesn't like that. What would he say to us? If he's knocking on that door and we let him in, what would his assessment be of you, of me? That's what we need to listen to. Now, this harsh word from Christ, this 
this dose of reality that he gives the Laodiceans is not standing on its own. He doesn't just come with the criticism, but he comes with his sweet counsel. And we see this in verses 18 and following. I can't, or 18. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Well, uh, Laodicea had become wealthy for three reasons. It was a center for banking. Uh, it had a lot of wealth there because of the banking uh, business that was in Laodicea. Uh, they were kind of the Swiss bankers of antiquity, one commentator says. And then secondly, they were famous for a breed of sheep that produ- produced an extremely fine and desirable black wool. So they had this textile industry going that caused their wealth. And then third, because there were some hot springs nearby, uh, it made them kind of a medical center. People came for those waters and the springs, and there was actually an eye salve that was mixed there, and it was world famous. You could go there if you had an eye problem, and Laodicea was the place to to get this, this cure. And look just exactly what Jesus says to them. First, I want you to get your gold from me, not from the bank, not from the culture around you. I want you to get gold refined by fire, the purest gold, so that you may be rich. And instead of the the dark black garments that you love and that you produce, I'm going to give you white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And instead of the medicines that they produce there in Laodicea, I'm going to give you salve to anoint your eyes so that you may truly see. You know, we, can, we can pour our lives into the world around us and we can become satisfied with the things that the world has to offer us. What we really need is what Christ brings to us. And we can, we can become satisfied, especially in America, with all the prosperity that we have We can be quite comfortable, quite relaxed, and become indifferent to Christ because we we have all of the creature comforts that we need. We, We have these pleasures and distractions that shield us from the harsh realities of life. But Jesus, his assessment of us, might be different than we think, but the cure is, might be something. We think, I need, I need a vacation, I need this. What we really need is God's word. What we really need is his grace. That's what we need. And that's what Christ is inviting them to. See, the riches of the world that the, the Laodiceans had, that they were self-satisfied in, the Bible tells us repeatedly that that's no good. Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only will, with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Why is that? Because riches deceive. They, they make you think that everything is okay in life because you can purchase your comfort. You can, you can prosper in so many ways and, and get along in this world in an easy manner. And that's why people don't see that they need Jesus when they're wealthy. It's not impossible. You know, Abraham was a wealthy man, and he's the father of our faith. You know, Joseph of Arimathea was a follower of Christ, and he, he was a, had, a, had a tomb that Jesus was buried in because he was wealthy. You know, there are other examples. King David, obviously, was wealthy and was a man after God's own heart. So it's not impossible, Jesus affirms there, 
You know, who then can be saved? If a rich person can't be saved, the disciples said. But Jesus said, with, with man it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. But it is difficult. Jesus told a parable about a man uh, who had uh, land that produced plentiful, plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear, tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I love this verse. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. See, I, this, this fellow had the wrong assessment of himself. He talked to himself. He was listening to his own deceptive heart. I've got all this stuff stored up and I don't need anything else. All's good. I don't need God. My, and you speak to yourself. You, know, you need to not, not listen to your voice, but listen to Christ's assessment, what Christ says. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. That's what Jesus is counseling these people in Laodicea. I counsel you to buy from me gold and to be clothed with a white garment that I will give you, my robes of righteousness, and, and to remove the blinders from your eyes so that you can truly see and truly know. That's what we need. That's what Christ invites us to. And we don't have to buy it, actually. He says in Isaiah 55, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. The price for this has already been paid through Christ. It's something that he can freely gives to us, so he counsels us, he invites us to, to have everything that we truly need. But do we realize that we need it? That's the question. And then finally we have this invitation that he gives us in verse 19 through 21. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. What a comfort. I mean, they got this harsh word. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. But then he's affirming, hey, I love you. And I'm only telling you this. I'm only reproving you because I, I discipline those I love. You're going in the wrong direction. You, you're, you're being fooled by yourself, your own deceptive heart. And, and if you continue down this path, it's going to lead to destruction. But I love you, and therefore I'm reproving you, and I'm disciplining you. So respond appropriately, he says. Be zealous. Invest in what's re what really matters. Put your energy and your, your love and your devotion upon me, not on the things of this world. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Now this, this verse gets mishandled quite a bit. He's talking to Christians. He's talking to believers who have kind of have grown lukewarm. Their love, their devotion to the Lord has grown cold. They're, they're halfway Christians. They're not really living it out. And Jesus is reaching out to them and telling them to repent. Will you hear that? Will you hear that invitation that, he, that he's giving? If you hear my voice, open the door. I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. That's kind of a strange thing. That's not really what you expect, you know. If, you, if you, somebody knocks on the door, you let him in, I'll come in and I'll talk to you. That's what we would expect. I'll visit with you for a while. 
No, he says, I will eat with you. Now, we, in our culture, a culture of fast food, uh, you know, we eat in the car, we eat on the run, we, we go into a restaurant where there's a bunch of people and we, you know, we sit down and we might not even talk to anybody. But in this culture, where there was no fast food, sitting down and eating with someone was a, a deep sign of fellowship. Why do you think Jesus was criticized for eating with tax collectors and sinners? You know, if you go to McDonald's, you're eating with tax collectors and sinners every day. They're all around it, but you, you're, not, you're not hanging out with them. You're just in the restaurant at the same time, right? But in those days, if you sat down at a table with someone with a meal, that meant you were being friends with them, that you were, that you were having deep fellowship, that you were having a relationship. And that's what Jesus is inviting us to. He's inviting us into a deeper relationship with himself. It's a beautiful invitation that he's giving. He loves us and he wants to have a relationship with us. And he says, if you will just repent and open the door, I will come in and you will have fellowship with me and I will have fellowship with you. And then you will truly prosper. The one who conquers, verse 21, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. What a wonderful invitation Christ gives to us. If you find yourself today in a lukewarm uh, situation, you realize that your devotion to the Lord, your Christianity is is an add-on to your life, and Jesus is not central in your life. Well, here's the invitation. Jesus is calling out to us. He's not sending this word to us just because it's the next thing in in the Scriptures. The Holy Spirit has planned this out. For us to hear this, for us to respond appropriately. And what, you know, we're doing this because we want to be revitalized. Well, this is the way to be revitalized. To, to what we want is not just, like I prayed, not just more people here. Yeah, we want that. But we want uh, everybody and in, in, in the, the place to be overflowing with people who have a, a white-hot devotion to the Lord, where the Lord is central in their lives, not just something that is an add-on, a tack-on, something that is over here in my pocket that I pull out when I want to on Sunday or Wednesday night or whenever I want to put on my Christian hat. Jesus must be central. He wants to have a relationship, a daily relationship, like you have a relationship with anybody in your life. That's what he's inviting us to. And it's a a gracious, incredible invitation that he gives us. Will we respond to that? It's the perfect scripture to bring us to the table today. Uh, we have Jesus uh, promising to fellowship with us, and this table is a picture of that fellowship that we have with Christ. We can come, and by faith, we're united to him because of his death, because of what he did for us. We can have a relationship with him. He showed his love for us and laying down his life for us so that we can have a relationship with him. And this reminds us of that. Let us pray together and prepare our hearts to come to the Lord's table. Father, we thank you for this word and we pray that you would help us, Lord, to throw off our, our lethargy and, and help us, Lord, to see what's really important and to, to, see, uh, to, to see your true assessment of us. And Lord, we pray that you would grant us repentance and a zeal for you. And we pray now as we come to the Lord's table that you would, you would bless this time, that we would truly commune with you in our spirits and with one another before 
your table today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.